I've been praying for you this week. Praying for this time where we get to come together and open up God's Word together. Been looking forward to this time. Ask you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. When you get to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, go to verse 9. We will stand and read beginning there in just a few moments. You've been hearing for the few weeks about um, us promoting an opportunity for those in our church that desire to go on a mission trip to the Dominican Republic. And we've had a number of people express that desire. And I'm not here to push for mission trips to the Dominican Republic. What I am here to tell you is that going on mission, especially on foreign mission, causes you to have to raise your faith game, your trust game with God. It shows you more about God than you can you can't imagine. Having been in 1995, I had the opportunity to go to the Ukraine, and we were, I was probably there three and a half weeks or so. And one of the things I've shared before is that when you're going to go on mission, you're going to spend time working on your testimony. Because why go on a mission trip if you're not going to share the gospel of Jesus Christ? Now, I've had to do it in different countries, with different languages, with interpreters, or I've had to do it in this town with different countries and interpreters. I've had to do it within my family. I've had to do it with friends, members of the community, sharing the gospel. But one of the things that is important, if you're going to share the gospel, is having a personal testimony, an encounter with the gospel. And one of the things that I was challenged to do, taught to do, encouraged to do uh, nearly 30 years ago when I was preparing to go to the Ukraine on this mission trip was to get my personal testimony down to one minute. You're going, Jeff, there's no way that I could talk about all that God has done in my life and limit it to one minute. What you have to recognize is sometimes that's all the time you're going to get to take the opportunity that God creates for you. That may not mean, that may mean that you get to talk about it more, but sometimes you've got to be ready. So we worked and worked and worked, and I got down my testimony to a minute. I went back and I pulled that notebook out from 30 years ago. And you're going, Jeff, you kept that notebook? Yes. And here's my one minute testimony as taken verbatim from that book. My life before receiving Christ was a life spent striving always to be good and to do the right things. I did not like to disappoint anyone. As I grew older, I came to realize that I was not always able to do the right things, that I was a sinner. The Bible told me that all, all sin and fall short of the glory of God, that's Romans 3, 23, and it broke my heart to think that I was letting God down. I became a believer when my pastor shared with me that God knew that I was a sinner, but that he loved me anyway, Romans 5, 8. He sent Jesus to save me from the results of my sin, which would be death, Romans 6, 23. I believed in Jesus and what he did for me by dying on the cross, and I trusted him to be my savior, John 3, 16. Jesus makes my life meaningful by helping me to understand that his primary desire from me is a personal relationship. 
I now strive to work with Jesus by getting to know him and letting him guide all that I do. Right and wrong seem to take care of themselves. I now have the joy in life promised by God. That was my one-minute testimony, and I share that with you as a way of walking into today's sermon series. We're completing the Why I series with Why I Share the Gospel. And you're going, Jeff, this is the last one? I've received peace this week because once God laid it upon my heart, Why I Share the Gospel, there is no topic that will be greater than sharing the gospel. There is no need greater. There is no command greater. And so today, we end this series. We don't end it now. We end it in a few minutes from now. So don't clock out now because God has a lot for us from his word on why I share the gospel. I ask you to stand and we're going to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm going to start reading in verse 9. You will probably notice a distinct pause about halfway through verse 16 because I have to turn a page in my Bible. So don't think, oh, he stopped. No, just hang in there with me. I will get it turned, okay? But 2 Corinthians chapter 5, picking up in verse 9, says this. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are well-known to God, and I trust, also trust are well-known in your consciences. For we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf, that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. Or if we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but live for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Keep your scripture open. Now, if you're like me and you had to turn that page, I'm not turning it back because what I was led to do in this sermon is I want to start at the end for just a minute. So if you want to go back to verse 21, that's where I'm going to start where we ended. Verse 21 says, for he, that would be God, made him, that would be Jesus, to be sin for us, that we could be made right 
with him. Church, in a nutshell, that's the gospel. Scripture says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3. Now, don't go there. I'm just going to make that as a good note on the back of your call to action. But 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 says that the gospel should be of first importance. That's what it says. Which means that of all the things that we could talk about, of all the things that we could have conversations with people about, of all the things that we should share, Paul is saying that the gospel is the most important one. The first of importance of things that we should talk about. You see, the gospel, there is no decision point more important for a person to make. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I just alluded to it, verses 3 and 4 go on to say, Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried and rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures. Last week, we talked about why I trust God's Word. God's Word from beginning... Genesis to end, Revelation is revealing a singular story, and that's the gospel. It is written on all the pages of God's Word. It is of singular, most important, of importance. I just said that word twice. I guess that makes it doubly important, right? John 14, 6, not only is it important because it's the theme of Scripture, but John 14, 6 Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Catch this, church. No man comes to the Father except through me. Now, that's a very divisive scripture sometimes in this world. But, church, we need to understand that the centrality of the gospel is not only that it is the most important topic and message that a man must deal with, but there is a very specific and exclusive manner of which one comes to know God and be made right, and that is through His Son, Jesus. Church, we need to understand that there is no other way to God than coming to Him by faith in Jesus. If you know Jesus today as your Savior, if you've been saved, if God knows you to be His child, it is because you expressed faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. Now, there will be people in this world today that will tell you that all religions have Jesus. They just call him by different names. Church, that's not truth. There is no other name, Scripture teaches, that we come to God than through the name of Jesus Christ. People who do not come to faith in Jesus Christ are separated from God, not just right now, but if they never come to faith in Jesus, they will be separated from God for an eternity in a place the Bible calls hell. And you're going, Jeff, that sounds hard. That sounds mean. Well, let me tell you, it's the greatest love story possible. People have said, well, how is it right that some people will be separated from God? You see, people believe that God will not in the end, send anybody to hell. Do you know what I think is more amazing than that? Is that God would give me a chance to be made right with him through Jesus. We need to make sure that this world understands that the gospel is of first importance. That the gospel is through Jesus and Jesus alone. And that it must change our lives 
before it changes anybody else's. Romans 1, 16, it's a really important verse for you to write down on the back of your notes, says this, Paul writes, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it, that would be the gospel of Christ, is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Church, can I share with you today that the gospel is the only way for a man, a woman, any age, any nationality, anything. It's the only way for somebody to be made right with God is the gospel through Jesus Christ. Church, we need to settle that. You need to settle that. You see, the reason why Paul writes very early in this letter to the Romans, he said, I'm not ashamed. You know what unashamed looks like? Unashamed looks like a grandfather who carries his phone all around showing pictures of his granddaughter because she's precious. Unashamed is when we walk around talking about how I'm a Chiefs fan, have been a Chiefs fan for many, many years, and today we might just get another one. Right? We talk about things like this. But it's interesting. When I talk about being a Chiefs fan, all the Eagle fans start puffing up. Right? Because they're not ashamed. They're going, I'm not going to back down. Or when I start talking about pictures of grandchildren, you know what I need to be ready to see? Pictures of grandchildren. We're going into, I'm not ashamed to battle. But the reason Paul has to say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel is because so many people are. Just think about this. The things in your life that you are not ashamed about, people cannot keep you quiet about. But yet the gospel is one of the least shared things in people's lives today. We just got quiet. And I pray it's because the Holy Spirit is pointing out to you right now, if you know Jesus, you might be ashamed of it if you're not sharing it. But one of the other things that the Holy Spirit might be pointing out to you right now is that you've walked an aisle said a prayer, gone to church, been in Sunday school, given some money, and you're claiming that is your salvation. Do you know one of the first things that has to happen before anybody will ever be able to effectively share the gospel is they have to have experienced the gospel. Now, my one-minute testimony is enough to get it started with just about anybody. But let me tell you what I found out. I found that I was a sinner. God hates sin. God will not be in relationship with sin. And therefore, I was separated from God because of my sin. It didn't matter if my sin was intentional or accidental. Sin is sin, and it separates us from God. I didn't know that. I just thought it was me being able to make my own choices, do my own thing. Then somebody shared the gospel with me. Then I came to understand that sin separates me from God. But sin separates all of us from God, Scripture says. And it said that I had a choice. I could take what I deserved, death, and continue to be separated from God and hold on to my sin. Or I could repent of that sin. I could set that sin aside, bring it to Jesus, and confess that sin 
and be forgiven of it, the gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Church, that's the gospel. Scripture goes on to say that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, big inclusive word, whosoever believes in him, it's not just whosoever gets heaven, whosoever believes in him, expresses faith in him, trusts his life into the hands of Jesus, will have eternal life and shall not perish. Church, there's nothing more important than a decision to trust Christ as your Savior. The rest of this sermon hinges upon you knowing Jesus as your Savior. So I just want to stop. I started at the end. If you don't know Jesus today, God brought you here. He made an appointment with you. The Holy Spirit is echoing in your heart right now the truth that God's word is seeking to reveal to you. You have fought it and you have fought it and you have walked it and you have walked it and you have struggled because you've never given your life. I mean, Jesus, take it all. And if that's where you find yourself today, man, I'm glad you're here. Not because I have something to offer, but because the gospel has something to offer you and it's eternal life. Forgiveness, redemption. And I pray that between now and when we have a final invitation in just a few minutes, that you'll go, I'm not putting this off any longer. And if you're going, but people think I'm saved already. Let me tell you, what people think doesn't matter. It's what Jesus thinks. And I've shared with you for weeks now, do you believe that you're saved? That's a good question. The other question is more important, I think. Does Jesus, Matthew 7, does Jesus know you to be his child? You see, right now, if you think you're saved and you're not, there's a battle going on in your heart right now. It's the truth versus the lie. And I just pray that you'll allow the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to have their way. Why I share the gospel. Let's talk about this very quickly. Verse 9, go back to verse 9 with me. We're going to start from the beginning, and we're going to run. It's not going to hurt. It's not going to be long. But verse 9 says, Therefore, Paul is speaking about the changed lives that we experience because of salvation. So if you go back and read prior to uh, chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians, you pick up a whole lot more on this. And Paul goes on in verse 9 to list various reasons why someone would want to share the gospel. Verse 9. We make it our aim to be well-pleasing to Him. When I recognize and accept what God has done for me, it changes my desire from pleasing me to pleasing Jesus. That's my desire. Church, I can tell you it is my desire. It is not always my outcome. But every day when I get up, it is my desire to worship the one who loved me when I was unlovable, who forgave me when I was unforgivable, who's granted me life when I was on a path for death. It changes, and it gives me a desire that I want to please him. In order to be well-pleasing to the Lord, which is my aim, I'll do what he says. 
Let me just jot these scriptures down. Matthew 28, 19, and 20. It's called the Great Commission. Jesus tells us to go and make disciples. Mark 16, 15. Mark's version of the Great Commission. Jesus tells us to, in the New King James, to go and proclaim the gospel. In Acts 1, 8, Jesus' final command, encouragement to his belief, to his followers tells us that we will receive power. And when we receive power in the Holy Spirit, we will be a witness. Not you can be a witness. Jesus says you will be a witness. You can't help it. You won't be able to stop it if the gospel is alive and flourishing in your life. So why do I share the gospel? First point is Jesus told me to. Do we need any other points? Three people said, no, that's enough. I get it. Come on, let's just close this thing. But Paul has so much more to say. But number one, if Jesus says to do it, it should be enough. Verse 10, another reason though, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. I was speaking with someone earlier this week and they go, because I was mentioning that there are two judgments. There are two judgment places, two thrones. One is the judgment seat of Christ that we speak about here. Revelations talks about the great white throne judgment. And this person said, so there are two judgments? I said, no. Well, there's two judgments, but each person only has to get in one line. You either get in the line for the great white throne judgment, or you get in line for the judgment seat of Christ. Now, I don't know how that's all going to play out. I just know the scripture teaches here that I will, as a child of God, I will appear before what is called the judgment seat of Christ. This is the final judgment of the saved. And it's not even a judgment as in sin. My sin was gone the moment I accepted Jesus as my Savior. This is an accounting of how I have lived my life since I have come to know Jesus. That's what the judgment seat of Christ is. We talk about these rewards in Scripture. That's where they're going to be given. We talk about this accountability. Church, what I want you to take from this is that if you're a child of God, I am so glad. And your judgment is done by Jesus' blood shed on the cross. But you will appear before the judgment seat of Christ where you will stand before Him, and Scripture teaches right here that you will give an account of how you've lived your life. You will not have to stand before your sin. It's gone. But you will have to stand before your Savior and explain why you didn't share the gospel to that person I put right in front of you. Why you didn't share the gospel to those people. Why you, why you. We're going to give an accounting. Now you heard as part of my testimony, I'm all about pleasing people. And it makes sense to me that when I know I'm going to be reviewed, <laughs> I'm going to make sure I'm going to get the best review possible. So why do I share the gospel? Because I'm going to stand before Jesus one day. Jesus told me to. One day I'm going to stand before him and be accountable to how I have lived. And here's what I hope to hear. Matthew chapter 25, 21 says this. Well done good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your Lord. That drives me, church. 
Not only is he worthy for me to live my life in a way that pleases him, but he's going to review me. And I want to hear those words. Third reason why I share the gospel. Look at verse 11. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Church, let me just list off a few names. Egypt, Jericho, Sodom, and Gomorrah. And all of the judgments spoken about in Revelation. I've not named but just four different scenarios. But God's word is full of God's just judgment on sin. We've seen it. We've read it. We've studied it. We understand it. And there's a part of us at the end that goes, whew, I'm glad that's not us. I'm saved. I don't have to worry about that. But do you know those people in the other line, the great white throne judgment, the people who do not know Jesus, the people that will pass through that judgment on their way to an eternal hell separated from God, do you know that they don't know the terror of the Lord? We do. And Paul says, one of the reasons I share the gospel is, I know how this thing ends. And so therefore, I'm going to persuade men. Persuade, that's a cool word. It takes time to persuade sometimes. Build it up, layer it in, layer it in, stay at it. Scripture teaches sometimes you get to be the sower and sometimes you get to be the reaper. But it's all about persuading men. Philippians 2, verses 9 to 11, just my summary of those verses is that God has given Jesus as the name that all will eventually bow before. But listen to what Scripture says. Those in heaven, those on earth, and those under the earth. Church, there is no one, any place that will ever get away from having to eventually confess Jesus as Lord. What we have to do and why we have to share the gospel is, is once they're under the earth, once they're separated and have passed from this world, they'll bow. It just will not do any eternal good. This week, I've known people who have died. So have you. In that moment that they died, their decisions were final. They either knew Jesus or they didn't. I know the terror of the Lord. I'm going to seek to persuade men. I'm going to aim to please him. Jesus told me to. And I'm going to share the gospel so that others do not have to be judged for their sin. Look at verse 14. Why do I share the gospel? Because the love of Christ compels me. Jesus has told us to love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And, very important, and to love our neighbor as ourself. When we love the Lord, it will change how we, how you see people. We will love them and desire for them to know God's great love for them. So we should live in a way that causes our lives to be appealing to those who do not know Jesus. 
so that they ask or we might gain the opportunity to share about salvation through Jesus. Think about this. 1 Peter 3.15 says this, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. You know, that's a great opportunity. You know what Scripture just said right there? If you will just live in the hope that I've given you, and you be ready, I'll bring people to you, and they will say, what's up with that hope inside of you? You're going, I don't know how to get these conversations started with people. Well, sometimes you just don't have to. You just have to be ready, as Peter reminds us, to give a reason for that hope that's inside of you. But there's also an important part in that. Do you know that if you're not living in the hope that Jesus has given you as his child of God, that you will not be appealing, you will not be, a, be sh helping people desire to know what's going on inside of your life, they might be going, I don't want any part of that at all. And that's trouble when you claim Christ but aren't ready to live in hope. We've got to be ready. Verse 17, similar point. When we come to know Christ, we become a new creation. Philemon chapter 1 verse 6 says this, that the sharing of your faith do you notice that you're just, there's already an assumption that you're going to be sharing your faith. That the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. They're just saying in that verse right there, you live your life as a sold out child of God and those opportunities will come before you and they will be effective. I share the gospel because Jesus told me to. I share the gospel because one day I will stand before him accountable. I share the gospel because I know that God is going to judge the sin of those who do not have Jesus as their Savior. And I'm driven by being a new creation. I am led and compelled by love. Verses 18 to 20. I share the gospel. Catch these phrases. Verse 18. Because God has given us, do you see that in verse 18? Who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, God has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Verse 20 says we are ambassadors, which means we are placed here representing him. I was did some research looking up on ambassadors. You know, if you walk in, if you're the ambassador of a certain country, the United States, and you walk into the country you're supposed to be the ambassador to, you are to represent well the country that placed you there. Gentle, loving, kind, you are to represent well. And here in this verse, we are called by God as ambassadors. We are to represent I like this, that we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. We've been given the word of reconciliation, which is the gospel. And we've been given the responsibility of reconciliation. Look at verse 20. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you to be reconciled to God. So you're saying, Jeff, sharing the gospel is our responsibility? I thought God did all of that. 
The answer is yes and yes. Yes, God did all of that. But as you read Scripture, both remember back and as you read Scripture in days forward, God does not need me or you to accomplish any task that He desires. Period. And some of you are going, Jeff, I like where you ended up because that's what I'm doing. Nothing. But it doesn't stop there. God does not need us to accomplish. God has chosen us to be used by Him. Go back to Scripture. Moses, come here. I'm going to work through you to lead these people. Abraham, come here. I'm going to work through you to keep this gospel trajectory to where the blessings for the whole earth will happen. God has always chosen. I go to Isaiah 6, 8. God says this in Isaiah 6, 8. He says, whom shall we send? Who will go for us? Church, we miss that because we go right past where Isaiah goes, hey, send me, I'll go. We got to recognize that God had, even back in Isaiah, said that the sharing of the gospel will always come through the believers. And Isaiah goes on to say, well, Lord, how long? How long do I do this? And God says, until. And you can read all those descriptors there, until the end. When you come to know Jesus, you become an evangelist of the truth of the gospel. Until the day you stand before the Lord and he says, okay, you can stop now. Why do I share the gospel? Jesus told me to. Why do I share the gospel? Because one day I will stand before him accountable. Why do I share the gospel? Because I know that God is going to judge the sin of those who do not have a savior. Why do I share the gospel? Because I'm driven, cannot help it, because I am a new creation compelled by the love that he has placed in me. Why do I share the gospel? Because God has determined that he will use his people to be the effective plan of sharing the gospel. Now let me head toward the end. And Zach, I'm not 30 seconds from heading there. Let me head toward the end. Jesus called 12 disciples. And in Matthew 4, he said this to them, that they are to follow him and that he will make them fishers of men. Jesus didn't say, I'm going to educate you and let you choose. He said, if you follow me, a natural outcome of following me will be you will become a fisher of men. Jesus said, I'll make you effective if you follow me. I'll make you successful. I'll make you able. Now catch this. In John 17, 20, this would be the Lord's prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night before his crucifixion. John 17, 20 says this. Jesus is praying. I do not pray for these alone. He had just prayed for the disciples. But I also pray for those who will believe in me through their word. Jesus said, not only am I going to make you a fisher of men if you'll follow me, but people will come to know me because you follow me and are a fisher of men.
Jesus is so thorough in preparing his disciples and so confident in the gospel that if his people will obediently share the gospel, it will be effective. People will come to know Jesus. Final point. Church, in Luke chapter 10, in Matthew chapter 9, and in John chapter 4, Jesus speaks about the harvest. He says in every gospel situation that the harvest is plentiful. It's ready. There's a bunch. It's plentiful. This goes to the effectivity, not just I will make you fishers of men. Not just other people will come to believe in me because of your testimony. But plenty, plenty Plenty of people will be made right with me because of the gospel. But Jesus goes on to say, he said, the problem is not that the harvest, that there's nobody wants the gospel. Did you hear when when Jesus said the harvest is plentiful? People want the gospel. They may not know they need it. They may not know how to get to it. They may have never heard it before, but they're going to want it. How do I know this? Because before I was this guy, I was that guy. I didn't know. I just thought that I could just live my life any old way I wanted to. And it would work out okay. And then I came in contact with the truth. You know, the interesting thing is, I go back and think about that day. I did not walk into the room that it occurred, and then there was just this Bible open there, and explained it all to me. No, I was in that room with a person. That person knew Jesus. That person shared the gospel with me. If you go back to my testimony, when my pastor told me. I had the scripture right out there. We were looking at it. When I came to understand the gospel, I wanted it. So the issue is not, nobody wants to hear the gospel. That's not true. The issue is, Jesus goes on to say, the laborers are few. The laborers are few. The problem is not that people won't listen to the gospel. The problem is, is people aren't hearing the gospel. Why? How can they hear until somebody shares it with them? Church, that's why I share the gospel. Scripture assumes, when you really spend time in it, that when we come to know Jesus, we will desire to tell others that we won't be able to keep it inside. Can I tell you this? We can trust, I'm closing, we can trust that what Jesus promised to do with the original disciples, He is able to do in our lives today as we yield to Him, as we follow Him in salvation, and secondly, as we commit to being obedient ambassadors. Two questions. If you do not know Jesus this morning, are you willing to?
to accept him today. Question number two. If you know Jesus this morning, are you willing to share the gospel? Two questions. That's it. God can do it. Amen? But He has chosen to work through His people. May we be a people that are willing to share the gospel. He'll make us able. Are you willing? What happens, to, what happens this week if 400 people all walk out and find one person to share the gospel with? That means 400 people hear the gospel. And I trust the Spirit can take my poor, fallible ways of doing it and make it right. But 400 people hear the gospel. Do you think that there's a chance that out of 400 people hearing the gospel because 400 people share the gospel, do you think that there's a chance that one person will accept Jesus? One in 400, you're going, yeah, I... We don't even have to be optimistic people to think that one out of 400 might do it. But if we're godly people who understand the power of the Scripture, who understand the change that's wrecked in our lives, to understand the power that God has put us and influence around people, I just happen to believe that if 400 people who are sold out to Jesus share the gospel to one person this week, I bet you one's just the beginning. And then the next week, and the next week, and then the next week. Now, I'm not really good at math, and well, I am at times, but when I'm standing right here and I'm talking on stuff I didn't even have written down, I don't even have this math done, but you guys can get the fact that 400 across 52 weeks is like 20,400 people or something like that. 20,000 times we share the gospel in a county of 50,000 people? What will that happen? What will happen in this county? Oh my goodness. You're going, I'll have to sit close to somebody. And we laugh. Let's see if we can make it happen. Will you share the gospel this week? I will be praying for you to share the gospel one time this week. Once. Now, if you want to be an overachiever and go twice, 